0: This is Joshua Bell from The Kilt and the Cloth with my sermon from January 31st. I hope you enjoy and God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through form association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. One of the issues that we face in the Christian church in the 21st century is the understanding or the phrase of Christian ethics. Christian ethics. For example, the aim of it is not stoic. It's not self-sufficiency, which requires proper knowledge. Rather, it's an aim. is the benefit and advantage of a brother or sister, according to Paul. You see, once... Once theology is properly in hand, it is especially tempting to use it as a club on others. This does not mean that knowledge is either irrelevant or is important, but that it, it cannot serve as the primary basis of Christian behavior. In Christian ethics, knowledge must always lead to loving service. You see, love is not just a sentiment. It's not just a feeling. Love works. It acts. It does things. And the chief thing it does is to edify, build up, cause growth in each of the persons who engage in it and who are engaged by it. Love restores. Love encourages. Love makes whole. I find it fascinating that when you start this chapter out, it's in response to a request, a question or a request to Paul, and Paul is responding to them. So this is one of those weird moments that Paul is actually talking to the other people, and we are the bystanders listening to a conversation that took place a long, long time ago. It still speaks to us today, and I think the funny thing is, is that I think a lot of times this passage of Scripture gets... Um, misused. Let me give you an example. There are a lot of times that a kid will go to college and after the first semester and taking their introduction to philosophy class they come home, they walk into the door and they are true philosophers after their first philosophy class in college. They know all the names. They can remember Kant and Descartes and Plato and Socrates. Why? Well, because when they came home for Christmas break, they had just had their final. So all these names are embedded in their brain. And and for some reason, because I know I did it myself, that we come home and we are know-it-alls. We have all of the knowledge of philosophy. And anyone that listens to us, well, they are dumb because they have not had that professor. Or they have not had that class. This happens a lot in churches. Those that have the knowledge and those that don't. Those that have the experience and those that don't. Those that have been here a million years and those that have not. And yet we take that opportunity, that institutional knowledge, and we unfortunately lord it over one another. In the same way as a child does coming home from college their very first semester knowing everything about philosophy. Now there's something beautiful about knowledge. There's something awesome about having the ability to say, I'm not going to just take it on the the surface level. I'm going to take time to research and to and to edify myself in the ways that I believe there's something powerful about studying the Bible and scripture, not not from some sort of agenda-based curriculum. not that there's anything wrong with that you see, but it's important to listen to the words on the page and the only way that you can do that is by gaining knowledge by spending time with one another, devoting part of your life reading scripture. That knowledge isn't now, in the world that we live in, isn't just yours to have. It's to be shared. It's to be used with one another. So that's the first part of chapter 8. Second part about this is the food. You just can't go away from it. And for those of you that don't know exactly what's going on, what's happened is, is that the church of Corinth evidently is is eating the food from the false gods' uh, temples. So they're going into the temple after they've done their burnt offering and are taking it and eating it. And Paul is like, well, I mean, I I know you're hungry. I know you've got to eat. But is that really a good place to eat food from? My daughter and I have been having this conversation about the, the movie Dogma, and for me, I have a, a, a struggle with the understanding of the word dogma, and it's a, it's a very inappropriate movie. Don't tell anybody I watched it, but it's one of those great movies in the sense that it talks about faith, and sometimes the traditional aspects of faith that seem to have a superstition tied to it, like Paul's talking about here. Part of the problem that we have in the Christian church, disciples of Christ, is is that we say that we have no doctrine, but we do. We have an understanding of tradition, like our aspect of communion, for example, is that remembrance meal, that last supper, is our focus for communion. So that's our tradition. Now, dogma would be the way that we carry that out. Now, that's where we, as the Christian church, disciples of Christ, bury In every congregation that you go to, you'll have some that do a high church thing, they bless the bread and they bless the the juice in such a way that that looks and can sound like our other Christian brothers and sisters. And then you have some that are as easy going with it that they'll have milk and Oreos every time that they do it. for us, it becomes really important that even though we have the tradition that our dogma does not guide that. So in some ways, our superstition is is that we have to have communion every week. Another superstition that we might have might be the fact that baptism, for some reason or another, is the only way to save grace or give and extend grace. Now that's a conversation for another day, but it's these things that we do in our tradition that create these places of knowledge. So if you're not a part of us, You don't know what's going on. So the only way that you'll find out is if we impart that knowledge. There was another movement of Christians that did that. We called them the Gnostics. And they hid all of their stuff inside these little clay pots and they stuck them in the little caves. And it's a little small place called the Dead Sea. And we didn't find them until centuries later where all of a sudden the knowledge was Shared with the rest of the world. And it was beautiful how that took place because not one movement said we will be in charge of these texts. It was shared globally. So why am I making such a big deal out of this? Well, because Paul is talking to a group of people like us that are looking past the superstition and saying, I'm hungry. He says, well, I know you're hungry, but I want you to think about what it looks like when you go into that false idol's temple, number one. And then number two, you take the food out of there. Now, I know in the back of my head as I'm having this conversation with you that if somebody comes in and they take a rack of ribs and they burn it on the altar in a a false idol's temple of any kind, and if they throw the stuff on that and I happen to be walking by and I'm starving and I know nothing about that false idol or could care less anything about it, and I see that rack of ribs sitting on that altar, I guarantee you I'm eating it. Because it means nothing to me. But what Paul is saying, you need to watch out for those that are watching you. You have a responsibility to your brother and sister. You have some sort of knowledge that they have not been imparted with. And yet you are the only place that they have found the presence of the divine in your conversation. So whether or not you believe in the superstition, you need to believe in the fact that people are paying attention to you. There's a massive aspect of tension here that Paul is bringing to us between knowledge and love. It's a challenge for us in today's culture. Let me give you an example. There's a difference between right and wrong knowledge. Let's go with the wrong first. Wrong knowledge is always going to be self-centered, self-serving, giving to myself. You'll hear this with people when they talk about their own existence. And they always use the pronouns I and mine. This wrong type of knowledge in our aspects of faith can lead to destruction and conflict within churches. When we focus only on ourselves, we run into issues because the right knowledge that Paul is talking about here is an extension of that leads us to loving service, not status or pride or arrogance. It's a simple faith. What would that working knowledge or right knowledge look like in today's culture? This is that moment where you all of a sudden you see These people putting themselves beneath others. This is is hard for our culture to understand. We live in a me society. This is not a new ethic problem. Even if the first church is having an issue with how do we live in an understanding as a Christian community we're still struggling with the understanding of how this is supposed to work. It doesn't matter how long I go to college, for example. If I have, do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I could, I could have all knowledge of the world and have all the money in the, in, the, in the entire planet, and if I have not have love in my heart... I'm worthless to the humanity of God. Now, I want to change our perspective on this. And when I say that people portray this negatively, there, there comes a point when, in the aspect or the pursuit of knowledge, it frustrates other people. Because to them it doesn't need to be thought out it needs to be lived out so i have heard people say to me in the past and i have said it myself even there there was i didn't need i didn't need to go to seminary to know god well you're right you didn't but i definitely did need to have that moment of pursuit of knowledge especially when we talk about how the bible relates to our Life today, I couldn't just do that by myself. I had to do that in a community of faith. Regardless, if it was seminary, I think that's where those places of Sunday school or Bible study become extremely important. The conversations that we have with other believers of faith and say, Yeah, this passage of Scripture really I'm struggling with. I mean, think about it. They're eating off of false idols, temples. And how is that a bad thing? I mean, it's not, they don't believe in that. So why is that a bad thing? And then Paul says, it's not that it's bad because we don't believe in that. It's because somebody else might see you and think that you might be tricking them. It comes down to that old adage, which drives me absolutely bonkers. I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, thank God it's full of hypocrites. Because if we were all fixed and we all had the right answers, we wouldn't be here. Because the right answer, according to faith, is is that we are out on our feet serving God with every aspect of breath that we have. And yes, we need to have a moment of sanctuary, a moment of respite, a moment of place to reconnect with God. But I don't want a church full of perfect people. I don't want to serve a congregation that has everything figured out. I definitely don't want to serve a group of people that think they know everything. And likewise, I would hope a congregation would never want me or any of their clergy to be the knowing of it all. That's what Paul's talking about here and if we have this knowledge we are to share that knowledge out of love because what it does is it edifies it builds up it causes growth and yes growth can be painful I want to go back to that beginning example of a college student after their first semester in college The first semester, there's a little bit of pride, if not defeat, (laughs) because there's the other side of this, that kid that goes to college that's not prepared, and they sat in that introduction to philosophy class, and their brain is completely melted after the second week, and they've realized that for some reason or another, this was not a good choice. (laughs) And at the end of the semester, there's a place of failure in their minds. are the ones that come in the place of worship. We don't come here because we figured it all out. We came because we failed this week and we failed hard. And we might have read some book that might have fixed it for that 15 minutes. We might have talked about it with somebody that that whole day I felt good. But the truth is, when we come to this place of worship, we're going in at a place of love to edify, to build up, and to cause growth in each of us. And growth can be painful. That's why we do this together. Not alone. The world has no place for know-it-alls. The world is in desperate need of those loving, teaching people. Those people that want to be the example or the ambassador of the one we've chosen to follow, who we call Jesus Christ. It's not a new ethic of Christian community. It is the ethic of Christian community. It's with this idea that we recognize that when we engage in it with and those who are with us that are also engaged by it, that we recognize that that love restores, that love encourages, that love makes us whole. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.